That's always why, like, when you have to re-record, yes. I can, and I can tell. Yeah. Like, <laughs> because here's the thing. Here's my bone to pick. You sound smarter, and you don't laugh at my jokes. <laughs> I try. Like, I, I, okay, here's I the thing. Like, I'm, pretty, I, I'm not saying I'm super <laughs> funny, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure that got some kind of reaction. And it's so then true. it's just silence. So here's what I do. Here's what I do. When I re-record my audio, I do a whole section where it's just a bunch of different laughs where I'm just laughing and I sound like a crazy person. And then I cut it up and put them on throw them throughout the episode. And a lot of times I miss some jokes. (laughs) Welcome to feeling it a podcast where we discuss TV movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on. Want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. All right, hello. Welcome to this podcast that we do. Um, Sandra, would you say that we like movies? love movies. Okay, would you say we go to most movies? <laughs> I say I go to a lot of the movies. I agree, I agree. Well, this week is the release of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald, which are two things that um, obviously go together in a title. Um, but we're not seeing it, because <laughs> it's not a good movie. <laughs> and no, because Grindelwald created some bad crimes. It is, yes, the, the worst crimes of Grindelwald yeah. um, that we're not supporting. But in our Fantastic Beasts, what is the biggest movie that you have skipped? Well, I'm just going to introduce myself, and I'm going to say that I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager from Nashville, Tennessee, and the biggest movie that I've ever skipped has been the entire Lord of the Rings franchise. Um, when all of my peers were obsessed with them, I said, not for me, son, and I didn't go see any of them. Hang on, you still haven't seen Lord of the Rings? No, I mean, I've seen clips, obviously, like at church camp. But <laughs> Church um, camp? <laughs> yeah. One, one year, my church camp theme was Lord of the Rings. What? Yeah. Uh... And so, like, I saw a lot of clips that year. <laughs> But no, I've never sat down and watched an entire one. Okay, wow. All right. Yeah. Um, that hurts a little bit. It does. I know. I know. Everyone. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, normally, in I feel like in most situations, I would say you need to rectify that and see Lord of the Rings, but I know you're going to hate it, so right. I'm, I'm not going to I'm not gonna do that to you. Yeah. Um, well, I'm Lucas Wright, a designer in Chicago, and the biggest movie that I skipped was 2016's Suicide Squad. Everybody remember that one? <laughs> I certainly do. <laughs> I, I'm. It's one of those movies that I, in hindsight, am still extremely glad that I that I missed out on. It was not uh, exciting in the least bit. <laughs> no, no, you made the right choice. Um. Well, this week, as I said, instead of talking about Fantastic Beasts, we are actually going to talk about Widows, the new movie from Steve McQueen. But before we get into that, let's talk about what we're feeling. Every episode, we talk about something that we've discovered or rediscovered, um, whether that be a movie, TV show, book, whatever. So, Sandra, what are you feeling this week? This week, I'm feeling um, a new British TV show that's streaming on Hulu called The Bisexual. Um, It stars and is created by Desiree Akavan. You might be familiar with some of her work. She um, directed the movie Appropriate Behavior, which I loved. And she recently directed the movie The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is um, on my watch list. I'm planning to see it soon. And... Um, she's also starred in Girls and some other TVs and mo- movies. But um, 
this new show of hers is one of my favorite things she's done, and I'm so excited to have binged it recently. It's, like I said, it's called The Bisexual, and the plot is that it's about a 30-something woman who has been in a long-term, like, 10-year relationship with another woman. Um, and she decides to take a break from it and, meanwhile, explores her bisexuality. And one of my favorite things about watching this show is that it helped me realize just how much I love the way British television handles romance. It's so I, much better. <laughs> it's it's so good. And I really got to notice that all of my favorite shows with like these really compelling relationships are British or Australian shows. And the way that they handle romance, and I'm a fan who watches, a person who watches a lot of romance. And so I, I feel like I've got a good grasp on the differences. The way American t- TV romance is handled is often, often very manufactured there's like tons of build-up to like one grand moment everyone has to look a certain way it's a very like a pretty person's ball game um whereas on british tv i feel like the romance is so much more realistic and oftentimes it's more immature but in very realistic ways it's it shows the way that people are awkward and don't have their shit figured out And I also feel like British TV romances find romances in so many more places than American shows do. Mm -hmm. In American shows, there's often often like one main couple and maybe like one side couple. And that like, like, oh, this is like not these aren't the stars, but they're also falling in love and we care about them. But on British TV, I feel like there's romance everywhere you look and not always with the two main people. Sometimes there's just one episode where the main character meets someone and like has this really intimate connection. And then we never see them again. Or they have these flings that are like normal and real human life. And um, it's the sex is so much more frank and realistic. And um, this show just fulfills all of that, and which is one of the reasons why I love it. But it's also because I think Desiree Akhavan is such a really cool, young, new talent. If you're not familiar with her work, a lot of her work um, does focus on like her bisexuality and what that means for her identity as a person, her queer identity, her what it means to be in that in a queer community as a bisexual woman. Um, and, and the way that she talks about sexuality and relationships, I think is so witty and fascinating and heartfelt. Um, I I love this show. I love her point of view. And in addition to like it being a British show, unless if you're not familiar with her, Desiree Akhavan is American and Iranian. And so you have this American Iranian star in a British show, which is like such a great blend of sensibilities. You have all the structure of Bookle British show where it's six episodes and the storytelling is like concise and just tells the story it needs to tell in those six episodes. But then you also have like her American point of view as the lead of the show um, and how that like interacts with this, you know, in, in London. And I was just so incredibly charmed by it. In addition to all of that, she's very funny. She's very smart. Um, I really hope that this show does what Fleabag did for Phoebe Waller-Bridge, whereas people get to like see her and get her, and then she gets a ton more work from it. Um, there are little things about it that do remind me of Phoebe Waller-Bridge, like her um, 
inappropriate sense of humor that's like not obnoxious or like that she's self-involved, but you don't hate her. Um, I think there's so much about this that is just like so compelling. And if you like those shows where it's just about like relationships and um, really good storytelling, then The Bisexual is something that I really think you should check out. All right. And that's on Hulu? Yes, it's on Hulu. I think it aired in Britain earlier, and now Hulu has the streaming rights, but I'm not 100% sure. But all six episodes are on Hulu right now. Awesome. Um, Short shows. Those always get me. (laughs) Yeah. I watched it all in one night because I couldn't put it down. That's awesome. Um, well, this week I am feeling a one of the few Guy Ritchie movies that I actually like, um, The Man from Uncle. This movie is incredible. It is beautiful. It is funny. It is a spy movie set in the, the Cold War in Germany. Really, it's a it's a, it's a globe trotting movie. I think it goes a couple different places, but um, yeah, this features Army Hammer and Ar- Army Hammer as a KGB agent, um, Henry Cavill as a CIA agent. Um, and them teaming up to, you know, fix the Cold War, stop nuclear... Save the world. Yeah, save the world. Um, but this, I don't think, is a traditional spy movie. It's not a traditional um, Cold War movie. This movie is so, so unique. I feel like, yeah, unique is the word I keep using to describe it, just because um, it the pace is completely different than anything you've ever seen. Um, the banter, the the tension between these characters um, is so much fun. I got to say, Alicia Vikander, um, who plays kind of um, the, th- I would, yeah, the third lead in this movie, um, her kind of relationship between the, the, the other two characters are is so weird and so <laughs> just unlike anything you've ever seen in a movie, especially a movie set in the 60s. So I think her character is a lot of fun. Elizabeth Debicki is amazing. The costumes, I got to say again, are incredible in this movie. Um, everybody's just working at the top of their game. You've seen this movie. I know you love this movie. I love this movie. I think this movie, um, I didn't know what to expect when I first started it. I you know, it had, I don't know if I even watched any trailers and I was so surprised at how funny it was and how sexy it was. The chemistry between the three leads is unbelievable. Um, especially I think the, the chemistry between Henry Cavill and Army Hammer. Yeah. Um, they're at odds, but there's also like, I think this like sexual tension that is like really delicious. Um, but between all three, it bounces back and forth between the three of them constantly. And that's so fun to watch. Um, and yeah, this movie just has such a great sense of style. I wanted to like live in this universe for like four more movies because I was so like giddy throughout watching it. Um, there hasn't been a sequel and I don't know whether the chances are high for another sequel, but I am definitely, definitely desperate for one. Yeah. I know Guy Ritchie and his writing partner, part, partner, his writing partner are working on a sequel, but I don't. I don't know if that'll ever actually happen. I know this mon- this movie did not make a lot of money. Um, I think because it's so weird and it kind of defies expectations a little bit. Um, but I think people like people love this movie. It just has to get to the point where it's financially viable to make a sequel. Sure. But man, I really hope they do. I really hope they do. Um, now let's talk in or out. What is it? You're either in or you're out right now. 
uh, we like to talk about stuff that uh, you know has come out recently, um, usually trailers or some news, um, and just get everybody's take on it, whether you're in or out. Um, so, Sandra, first off, Deadpool 2. They're doing a PG-13 version of this thing um, with uh, Fred Savage <laughs> basically rephrasing his role from um, The Princess Bride. Um, they've recreated the room, and it's basically Deadpool reading him the Deadpool stories. Uh, there's a trailer online. It's very funny. Um, I'm I'm in on this uh, kind of cash grab. <laughs> Sandra, how about you? You know, I didn't love the first Deadpool, and I haven't seen the second Deadpool, so I'm probably out on this. The Fred Savage of it all does sound interesting, and I haven't seen the trailer yet, so I don't I want to see what that looks like, uh, but I, I wonder if I can just be satisfied by watching the trailer and then like <laughs> kind of that's as much as I need. Yeah. Um, Deadpool one, like I said, I didn't I didn't like it very much when I watched it. I was like, you know, this seems like it was made solely for twelve to fourteen year old boys, and I I don't fall into that category, and that is generalizing, but I do feel like. It just is not my sense of humor, and I don't find it charming. Um, there was one joke that I laughed really hard at, and that was about it. So I haven't checked out Deadpool for that, Deadpool two for that reason. So I don't see myself sitting down to watch a PG thirteen version of Deadpool two because I feel like that kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> yeah, um, I liked Deadpool one because of its subversiveness and just how it was able to poke fun at. Um, a lot of the other superhero movies and and do things that they couldn't because of the rating. Um, but Deadpool 2 just kind of followed in that same vein. And it's like, I, okay, I got it the first time. I don't right. like it's, and it's, you got to do more than that. Um, and so I'm interested in the PG 13 version just to see if this is their way of being like, you know what? We can do something different that is still subversive and funny, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it turns out. I'm in on it. You're out on it. Unless um, I see, watch the regular Deadpool 2 and just think it's really fun. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving on. We had a trailer for Detective Pikachu, which I think is ridic- a ridiculous sentence for me to say out loud. Um, so we're getting a Pokemon movie. I was never into Pokemon, so I don't, I really truly know nothing about it. A lot of the, uh, I know Pikachu and I know the name Jigglypuff. Um, that's all I got in the in the Pokemon realm. Um, but this actually looked kind of fun, possibly, maybe funny. I don't know. Like people are on board with this all of a sudden, and I was not before the trailer, and now I'm kind of like, you know what? I might I might watch that. You know, I did grow up watching Pokemon. In fact, the original Pokemon movie I loved to death. Um, I listened to the soundtrack constantly because it was it had a lot of bangers <laughs> on it. But watching this trailer, I was just like, wow, this is what I would have dreamed for as a kid. Like the way that the world of Pokemon looks built up in this movie, I think is so exciting. I think the animation or the CGI looks like really like it's the perfect blend of fantasy and realism. Um, I, I really love the way that a lot of those Pokemon look rendered and um, it just looks like a really fleshed out universe, which I think is fun. Um, I think the thing that has me most in on this movie is the casting of Justice Smith as the lead. He's an actor that I find really charming, really special. I think if they had had some like pretty boy blonde twenty something that none of us like that like, Hollywood keeps <laughs> trying to make him to a movie star, yeah, like that that would have really turned me off on this movie. But because they cast someone that I think has like real is really talented and interesting, then like I was like, oh, this like says so much about what they're trying to do. And um, 
another thing that I think is could be really good is that like they seem to really kind of be playing up and almost satirizing the idea of like a PI and like uh, a a noir esque you know version. Yeah of this story, which is um, what they tried to do earlier this year with, um, what's it called? Most Likely to Murder. It was the Muppet, the- Oh the, yeah, the Happy happy Time. Happy Time Murders, that's what it's called. Not Most Likely to Murder, that was a different <laughs> thing. Happy Time Murders, exactly. Um, I feel like a very similar vibe, but with just like a lot more attention paid to detail in this one. A lot more uh, good in, in, in this one. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, but so like I'm very on. I was one of the few people that like went to go see Happy Time Murders <laughs> and like acknowledged that it's bad, but like I also didn't truly hate it. Um, and so this one has me really excited that like it could be doing it right. Um, the Ryan Reynolds of it all, I'm a little conflicted on. I think Ryan Reynolds is charming, is usually very funny, um, but is a little all over the place and. Um, he looks like it's going to, I think I have high hopes for this, um, but I'm always a little um, uncertain with him. So I'm definitely in on going to see Detective Pikachu. Yeah, I think Ryan Reynolds has the most charisma. I think he can, <laughs> he is an excellent personality. Um, I'm very curious. I think I, I think it's up to like director and screenwriter to actually make that work in a movie. Um, so sure. I'm, I'm very curious to see kind of how he he plays out here. But he was fun in the trailer, so... Yeah. All right, so we're both in on Detective Pikachu. Uh, next up, we got two teaser trailers for Toy Story 4. Um, one was just them dancing around with a spork. The second one was um, uh, Key and Peele characters, um, as they, I think they're like uh, carnival bears or something, um, who are basically just talk about how much they love Toy Story. <laughs> um, so very, I, very unique uh, to drop kind of two teasers like that um, that don't show anything about the plot or anything. Um, so based off those or based off your thoughts on Toy Story, how do you feel about Toy Story 4? Oh, so many conflicting emotions. <laughs> First of all, I haven't seen the Key and Peele trailer, so ah. um, I don't. I haven't seen that one yet. I've just seen the both sides now toys dancing in a, in a ring trailer, um, which I thought was really beautiful and funny and, you know, kind of just perfect. I have a lot of faith in the talent behind all the Toy Story movies. So on that sense, I'm in and they've never led me wrong before. So why should I be hesitant now? You know? Um, I also really am excited by the casting of Tony Hale as this new character. I think Forky, is that his name? or Sporky? Uh, Sporky or something like that. Yeah, it is uh, a spork, right? Or is it a fork? It's I don't a know. spork, but I think his name is Forky. Okay. Yeah, I love Tony Hale. And Tony Hale, I think, is really underappreciated for his, like, t- his acting chops. Like, he's often put in these, like, really absurd comedic roles which he like thrives in um and is you know a genius at them but there is there have been times when i've seen him in movies where i'm like wow you're like a really thoughtful emotional actor that you don't always get to play and so i'm hoping that in the voice acting of this new character that seems to be a, a major character in the in the movie um that he gets some really good attention and and that casting alone has like me really excited for the movie um of course i think toy story 3 was like a perfect ending and so it makes me sad that like 
they're continuing a story that I thought ended perfectly. Um, but otherwise I'm in, I think that there's a lot of like interesting potential here. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, (laughs) I, I thought Toy Story 3 was a perfect ending. I didn't want Toy Story 3 when it happened and then I loved it. So I, I trust Pixar, um, especially with the Toy, Toy Story franchise. Um, but I think their introduction of a character that is not a toy, but <laughs> um, basically made into a toy, which I, I feel like everybody had growing up. You just had things that ended up being toys that you played with. Um, it is an interesting character. Of and in the trailer, in the in the teaser, he's having an existential crisis. I think, but um, <laughs> I think that's I yeah. think that's interesting. I'm very curious to see what they do with this. So I'm in Toy Story Four. Here we go. Okay, are you ready to talk about Widows? I'm ready to talk about Widows. I'm also ready to talk about Widows. Let's talk about Widows. What has happened in the world that normal now passes as excellence? Yesterday. When did we lower our standards? Yesterday. We are living in an environment where people are blind. What you don't see, you don't know. Out of sight, out of mind. All right. We are talking about Widows. This is Stephen Queen's adaptation of a 1983 British uh, TV series. It's about a group of women whose husbands were killed during a heist, and they have to pull off a heist of their own to pay back the money they lost. That is perfect. That's a perfect explanation for it. Um, Yeah, so he transplanted this movie from Chicago, or to Chicago from London. Um, Mostly, he said, because of the the story he wanted to tell is not just centered around gender, but also centered around race and class, um, which I think is Chicago's an excellent place to put that. Um, I think this movie is the excellent place to talk about stuff like that um, because I don't feel like you can have a conversation about gender without also having the conversation about race and class. Um, I feel like Mm -hmm. it's just all tied in. Um, So I loved this movie because of that. I think the subject matter is so interesting. I think he handled it all really, really well. Um, I really only had one quibble with this movie. I think this movie is one of the best movies of all time. I think he this is this is one of the few movies this actually might be the only Stephen McQueen movie that I can rewatch um his movies are dark his movies are um I say just depressing um his other movies Hunger um was about the um the hunger strike in English prisons um in this in the 70s 60s um very depressing um, he had another one about sex addiction, shame, um, also extremely depressing. 12 Years a Slave, Best Picture winner, extremely depressing. Um, so all extremely, extremely great movies, um, but all movies that I watched and was like, that was amazing. I will never watch that movie again. Um, this one, I will watch again. I loved it so much. And it was, I mean, it's also very, very dark and a very serious movie. But I think it has so much to it that I want to revisit now. I'm pumped. How about you? Well, we should also mention, Lucas, that this was your most anticipated movie of the year. Yes, that is true. This was my most anticipated movie of the year. When I was sitting in the theater, as the credits were coming up at the beginning of the movie, I thought, I've made a huge mistake and overhyped myself (laughs) on this movie. What if this movie is just fine and I've made it into this huge thing in my head? But 
it met my expectations and I'm so happy about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy that I did too. Um, <laughs> speaking of overhyping, I think that I fell a little bit into the trap that you sometimes do around this time of year where a movie, you've had so much buildup and a movie does get overhyped. And so you go in with way too high of expectations. Mm. And so when you leave the movie, you're like, well, that was, of course, a very good movie. Um, this movie, unfortunately, didn't live up to the expectations I had for it. I really, I thought this was a really good movie. There's a lot in it that I think is, like, fascinating. I think so much of the writing is really good. And, um, the way, like you said, the way that it explores the intersection of gender and race and class, I think, is brilliantly done. I think what has me a little disappointed in this movie is that what I was promised by some critics that I follow is that mm. it's the perfect is that this movie was the perfect blend of like art film and blockbuster, you know, that. Oh. So I kind of went in with that expectation and ultimately I was disappointed in it as like a thoroughly entertaining heist film. Um, yeah. I think the heist aspect of this film that is very heavily marketed. So I don't <laughs> think that that's like me reading, like putting no. something onto it that is yeah. not asked for. Um, I think the highest aspect of this film is not bad, but not great. You know, like it's, it's, um, it's realistic, which there's something to be said for that. And like how important that is in like art, but realistic heists are not always like as entertaining as I'd like them to be, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I think this is more of a drama that centers around a heist as opposed to a heist movie. I think, it, I think that's really fair, true. And I think that if I had went into this film with that expectation, I would have left a little bit more satisfied. Mm -hmm. um, but I went into this film thinking that this was like a perfect heist film with like a little, a lot of like art film flair. Mm. And, um, and it's not, it's really, it's a very serious drama and a very dark drama and there like i said there's so many good things about it i don't want to think like anyone to think that i didn't like this movie um but it didn't you know wow me in the way i was hoping for which i was just a little bummed by but there were definitely elements of it that did wow me um i think daniel kaluuya is of course incredible and mm -hmm. you can't everyone's talking about his take in this film and how like scary it is and menacing I think there are like certain scenes with Elizabeth Debicki that like really blew me away mm -hmm. and um, that did fulfill that kind of like heist movie itch that I had throughout the film. <laughs> um, I feel like she gets a lot of those like fun yeah. moments. Yeah. And I also like after seeing Bad Times at the El Royale earlier this year and this movie, Cynthia Irvio is like someone who I want to see everything from now. A hundred percent. Her role e isn't even very large in this film, but like every moment she's on screen, I can't take my eyes off her, her physicality, her acting, her voice. Um, she like becomes this powerhouse character without having to do much. And that I think is such a testament to like her presence. Um, so there's so much acting in this that I, I found really incredible. Um, and I just wish it just wasn't the heist movie I wanted it to be, which is yeah. fine. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, I 100% get it. Like As I was watching the movie and we were, what, like an hour in and there's no heist yet. <laughs> um, I, I was very much like, OK, I see. 
I see how the marketing <laughs> changed this movie. Right. Um, <laughs> as you said, like coming back to like the acting in this movie, I think it's all incredible. Viola Davis, um, I don't think has ever done anything wrong in any movie <laughs> that sure. she's ever in. Um, she's incredible. And so like she's just like t- to me, she is amazing, but also she's on par for everything of hers. Um, Elizabeth Debicki, um, I think is so amazing in this role. Um, I think she gets to do a lot more than she usually gets to do. Um, if you haven't seen the night manager, she's incredible in the night manager. Everybody please watch the night manager. It's one of the best TV shows ever. Um, she's incredible in that here. She gets to do even more in a very concise, um, amount of time, which I think is amazing. Um, as you said, Cynthia Revo, incredible. She is an Oscar away from an EGOT, and I want it's not going to happen for this movie, but it's going to happen eventually. I'm so excited to see her win something finally. Yeah. Um, Colin Farrell um, is someone who I did not expect a lot from in this movie. Um, his character is really fleshed out more than I thought it would be. And yeah. I, I, actually, let me back up. Most of the characters outside of the widow's characters are fleshed out more than I thought they would be. Um, and that kind of comes back to this being a drama is that this is about all of these people as opposed to about a heist, um, right. which is really interesting. And especially as you get into a lot of the politics and um, kind of class explorations about how Chicago works. Um which was a, a very unique. I, I think it's not something that I've, that I've seen before. Um, they, uh, the amount of conversations you have about what it takes to win an election, um, what it looks like to you know stay in power um, is, and again, these conversations happen outside of the, the whole widow's conversation and outside of the, the heist stuff. Um, these are just other conversations that are happening in other rooms. And it's that all of that was also very intriguing to me. Um, and so I, yeah, I think I think this is really well written. I I think we have to talk about. Um, uh, do you say Gillian or Jillian? Um, it's Jillian. Jillian. Um, Jillian Flynn, I think, is an amazing writer. I think we have seen her her her, her translation of her book um, Gone Girl into a screenplay. Excellent. What she did with Sharp Objects this year um, was a masterpiece. Absolute masterpiece. Um, I think her work on in this movie is really, really important. I think people talk about Stephen Queen a lot in kind of his directorial stance, but he has really never written women <laughs> at all. Um, and and this movie, I think a lot of the things that I loved about the conflict between these women, I think probably came from Gillian Flynn. I think she does a really good job of kind of writing conflict between female characters. And I, I loved, loved that. Um, this isn't a story of because their husbands got killed, four women come together and it's the perfect um, union between them to, you know, enact yeah, revenge there's or not whatever. like all this like emotional bonding. No, time. no. In fact, there's very little camaraderie. They, <laughs> for most, right. like they really don't, trust or even like each other all that much. Um, but they are doing what needs to get done. And I think that is a very, very fun thing to watch. Um, all of that conflict really, really shows a lot of character <laughs> in this movie um, and does a lot of interesting things that you don't normally see in a heist movie. Yeah. I There's so much I want to talk about in spoilers that yeah. um, I feel like I can't get into. The, I do want to posit a quick question for you, though, Lucas, just more on a philosophical level. Do you ever see a movie and not like it as much as everyone else and think like, am I a bad person? Like, am I a bad person? Because I don't like this movie as much. Sometimes I do. And this is one of those movies where like, of course I see what's good in it. Um, 
But like when everyone that you trust and admire is saying like, it's the best movie of the year. And you're like, really? I didn't think that was the best movie of the year. Like, am I a bad movie goer? Because like, I didn't feel this way. It's kind of just what I'm dealing with at the moment. And that like, I just wanted so much more from this that I didn't get. And yeah. that's, you know, it's a never ending cycle with movies and expectations and the culture we live in of mar- of marketing and trailers and is that there could be a movie that like you've never heard of and then you go in and it's equal to another movie, but because you didn't hear anything about it, it seems like it's the best thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And I experienced that a lot. And um, yeah, I just, all the good things that people are saying about it, I agree with and believe in. (laughs) And I just, and and yet um, it's not the best movie of the year for me. It's just a really, really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I 100% get that. I think a lot of it, like like you said, just comes down to expectations and what you were sold. And I sure. think th- the first trailer for this movie is, I think, one of the best trailers of all time. I think it is an amazing, amazing trailer that um, kind yeah. of lies about what this movie is about. <laughs> right. So, um, so yeah, I 100% get it. Um, we my my wife felt the exact same way of just. This is not the movie I was sold. I liked it. It's I don't yeah. love it um, because it was different than my expectations going in. And I think I think that's hard, especially with genre movies. Is that um, you're you're sold that genre because you assume it's going to fit kind of these kind of preconceived notions, um, which isn't a bad thing. I feel like we we feel like formulaic is bad, but in a case with genre, I feel like it's very important. Is that if you're if you're going in expecting this kind of movie, right. it's gonna hit these kind of beats, and if it doesn't yeah. hit those kinds of beats, it is it, it's it's a, it's a letdown, even if the movie is good. Um, right. And so I I 100% understand kind of where you're coming from that. Um, now I am very curious to see how your thoughts on this movie <laughs> are. Age. Yeah, later later down the road, if, if if it's a movie you keep thinking about, if it's a movie you rewatch, do you think you'll rewatch it? I would rewatch it. I don't yeah. have any plans to, yeah. but like, I wouldn't be opposed to. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody I've talked to who like a week later, like a month later, that kind of thing, who's seen it, it's just like it has changed in my mind. Like even already, I also saw it just like three days ago, and in my head already, it's already started to kind of morph, and I've started to see new things in it. And I'm very curious to see kind of if we if we just revisit this later, um, yeah. what 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 you'll think of it. And if you think the exact same thing, that's 100 percent fine. I'm just kind of sure. curious how it'll I change would in love your head. For that to happen, and <laughs> you know, like when we do our top ten episode, yeah. maybe by then. I will have like a different take on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm definitely open to that. Yeah. The, let, let's talk spoilers. There. Yeah. All the all the bad things that I want to say have to do with spoilers. So let's get into it. Okay. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's gonna happen. Now, crack and gas. Spoilers. Remember, you wanted this. Okay. So first off, I feel like this always happens. All of my qualms have to do with <laughs> actual plot points. Um, so first off, the the police shooting yeah. um, of Liam Neeson and Viola Davis's son. Um, I, th- I I I thought that was way too much. I d- I didn't think we we needed to see that. I thought um, we get it from from the get go. You know they have a dead son, um, and as it goes on, you I like. I assumed right off the bat that it was a police shooting because of how they talked about, you know, if he wasn't black, he'd still be alive. Um, yeah. And, and like, I didn't, and so then when they're showing it, it's, and it's 
a long scene. It's over a minute. Um, and it's just kind of like, I, this doesn't tell me anything new. I get it. Their relationship fell apart because of this, but I already knew that before you showed me this scene. So yeah. I thought that, which I think is a minor nitpick um, yeah, in this I movie. Would, I but. would disagree with you on that. I think that like, as I think you picked up very quickly that like he was probably shot by the police because of that line. Like mm-hmm. if he wasn't, if he wasn't my son, he'd be alive right now. Yeah. Um, I think that that does say a lot, but I think for a general moviegoer, that, that is not a conclusive enough statement to like really just tell the story that like, this is what happened. And this is like, not just the fact that like they had a son that died, but that they had a son that died this way is part of what would cause the dissolution of their marriage. Um, I think, I don't know. I thought it was necessary and it did weave in a lot of, a lot of the, the the story all kind of came together in that moment for Mm -hmm. me. So I, for me, that I think was really important to include. I think it's important that you know that um, Liam Neeson's character is basically teaming up with the government <laughs> that killed his son. Um, yeah. And I, I think that is an important point and in the story. Um, I just think there probably could have been a better way to do it than sure. giving us I mean, the scene of a character we've never seen before and then yeah. watching them die. I think that's up for debate about like how it's depicted, Mm -hmm. but I think there needed to be something more conclusive than just that first sentence from, I think there needed to be some very conclusive storytelling that said like he was shot by. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, the, the other qualm that I have is Carrie Coon. I wanted to know more about her and, um, Liam Neeson's her and Liam Neeson's relationship. I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think it's, um, kind of how, like they, they have a son together. Um, him and Viola Davis's marriage fell apart and he's with Carrie Coon now. Um, I just wanted more, mostly, I, I think probably a lot of it comes from just how much I like Carrie Coon and want to want her to be in more of this movie. Um, but I just think that could have been fleshed out a little bit more just to give, I don't know, just to, just to, just to make that hit harder when Viola Davis, because the scene where Viola Davis's dog is barking at that door and she's just standing outside. That is an incredible scene. I just think it's so good. I just think it could have hit a little bit harder if we knew more about Carrie Coon and how she, and kind of the betrayal that's kind of involved in, in this. Right. Again, tiny, tiny nitpick. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for me, it wasn't until, Towards the very end, when Viola Davis said something about, like, with your white son. Yes. That it kind of, like, fully clicked. Like, oh, he was having an affair with Carrie Coon. And, like, that's his son. Yeah. Um, Throughout the rest of the movie, it was kind of like, is, like, what's, you know, what's going on? Um, So I guess I could have, like, I don't think it's necessary, but I would have appreciated just, like, a moment or two between them that made it clear, like, they were romantically involved. That he that they're gonna run away together. Mm-hmm. That like, um, not only did he plan his death to run away from his wife, but he planned his death to run away with another woman. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Um, I think that if that was a little bit more clear, I think that could have added some added something to the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think things that I loved, moments that like really stood out to me. Um, I think one of the most interesting scenes in this whole film is when Colin Farrell's character is leaving a campaign event (laughs) um, and is driving back to his house. And the entire scene 
we hear all the audio from the inside of the car, but all we see is the car driving throughout the the Chicago neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, it is incredible. It's so good. Yeah. It's a short, it's a short drive. He drives from Inglewood to, um, Hyde park and, it's I keep forgetting Lucas that like you're in Chicago. Oh yeah, I'm and, like, here. You know these places. Oh yeah. yeah, I know the Green Line. <laughs> like all the things yeah. that they were talking about, I was just like, yeah, yeah, Aldermans. Yes, I just voted for right. an, for an alderman. <laughs> like all of that just happened. So it, yeah. it's so it's so interesting. Um, and this is like very like very segregated city, very important part of the city that they're kind of looking at the 18th Ward. Um, and it's yeah, the kind of kind of the corruption and everything in this movie is very. I think unique to Chicago at this level, but I think it's very, um, it's very American. Like, like, like this stuff happens in cities. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. Yeah. And that scene, you're hearing the audio of this, um, politician. They're, they're talking about race. They're talking about politics. They're talking about ambition. They're talking about a lot of, um, different aspects of the movie. And all the while they're seeing, you don't get to see any of those faces. You just see this car moving from this low income neighborhood to like his incredibly fancy house. And you get to see that transition between the houses. And, um, it's, um, I think a really cool technique. And when it first started, of course, my mind goes to the movie making aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, did they like did they not getting the facial like like is this like because they were doing some bad acting and then they just like dubbed it over later and then you realize like what an artistic choice it is and um I thought that was like a really really amazing sequence um I think like I said earlier the Elizabeth Debicki stuff where she is completing her tasks you yep. know yep. um that to me is the most that the of like a heist movie that this movie gets to become yes because we get to see her be clever and like I have a job that needs to be done and I need help with it. And so I'm going to like trick people into <laughs> helping me do this job. And that's like, like most heist films, like where they're bread and butter. Is, yeah. That's you know? most of the, like the second act is like them right. getting the, getting the, all the stuff they need. And honestly, that's my favorite part. It's a lot of fun. It's so much yeah. fun in heist movies. <laughs> and what this movie like really, d- I think does so that is so interesting with her character and, what her character putting her character in a heist film Mm -hmm. is that this is a woman that's had to rely on her looks and her feminine wiles, like her entire life. That's the only way she's made it, but through life. Mm -hmm. And in this scenario, in this high scenario, it's what helps her succeed. You know, the car lot, she gets to flirt and get all the information she needs by being like a beautiful woman standing next to a man. And in the gun show, what I love is that she doesn't do the same. It's not the same thing over again, but that it's still very gendered. She, you know, approaches another woman and she, um, really sinks into the fear that all women have of being controlled by a man and like being an abusive marriage and, the da- fear and danger that we all feel. And um, she takes advantage of that and uses that to her benefit. Showing those two things I thought was so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and then also while- how she gets the, the, the blueprints basically figured out that as well. That's the third. Right. That one is less, you know, fun to watch. Yes. You know, more, <laughs> yes. more of a dramatic element, yeah. but, um, but yeah, that her, the third one is also, again, another way of like, how her gender and her sex appeal like plays into like 
her mm-hmm. achievement. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's funny that she completes all the tasks. Like, th- those were the three things that yeah. needed to happen in this f- in, in, for this heist to happen. They needed a van, they needed guns, and they needed somebody to figure out what this map is. <laughs> and yeah. she does all of that. <laughs> Which is also kind of like, uh, throughout most of the movie, you're kind of like, why is Michelle Rodriguez even here? You know, like, yeah. Yeah. what is she getting done? <laughs> what is she bringing to this team? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, like, she was kind of redeemed sounds too strong of a word. Uh, yeah. it's, it's more like her talents, her her usefulness was redeemed at the very end when she like comes up with this quick lie to the hospital about yep. Elizabeth being shot. And like yep. that quickness and that resourcefulness mm-hmm. like did come in handy. And she um, brought Cynthia Riva. So, <laughs> right. but um, yeah, I, I do think it's funny okay. that none of them could drive. Yeah. <laughs> like, which which is a Chicago thing. It's very much a Chicago thing. Is that right? Just people don't drive. So finding but someone Rosa Davis could drive. She just w- didn't want oh, to be yeah. the driver. Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. She wasn't going to be the driver. Um, right. Yeah. But I, I I like Cynthia Revo's character is awesome in this movie. And I think that are, are there. I know there are two times that someone gets catcalled. I know one of them is when she's running for the bus. That I, one was incredible. That one is amazing. Um, just her. Yeah, her sprint for that bus is so good um there's another time when someone gets cat called i don't remember if it's her yeah i don't remember which which woman it is but i I feel like there's there's another time where someone's walking anyway it's just a very like you feel the danger always like no matter what like i love her running to the bus illustrates so many things like in a very simple scene yeah it illustrates like the idea that like someone is so desperate for money that the moment they get a call, like, and it's incredibly last minute, like they have to take it no matter what. Like you have to immediately change your plans and rush to, to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's like such a class distinction. It shows again, like the necessity of public transportation and how, like, if you don't have money to not deal with public transportation, how dealing with it and working it into your life and your schedule is like a, all importance mm-hmm. and um and then it has like the very gendered aspect of like something as simple as running to make a bus has this added element of being yelled at and leered at and like attention being drawn to you like you can't even just do the simple thing without that being a constant presence yeah and all the while like it's not even like a scene that like if you were to describe someone, it's like a girl runs to make her bus. It doesn't sound like there's a ton happening, and yet so much is illustrated. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember the other cat call is when Colin Farrell and his aide are going in to meet um, the Jamal brothers. Or not the Jamal brothers. The, the Manning brothers. Um, yes. Jamal Manning. Um, and a bunch of those men are just kind of standing around in that area um, and, are, and are kind of cat calling. And again, again, it's the exact same thing where it's not a part of the scene. It's not, right. it has nothing to do with what's happening. It's just there always. Um, yeah. And you can see the way she feels at that point in time. You see the way she feels when she walks into this office um, and um, psychopath Daniel Kaluuya is just sitting there staring at her. <laughs> like it's <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, there's just all, and, and it's not like she's a character that you feel sympathy for at any other time in this movie um right. but and, but it's, it's just another one of those things it's like this is th- just there it's part of this um yeah. so i yeah i thought i thought those those 
two instances of those cat callings were, were really great. Because I feel like in any other movie, if you if there's cat calling involved, it's a plot point or it's part of the characters, you know, something like something is happening that you're calling attention to this cat calling. Whereas this, it's just something that happens kind of in the background. Yeah. Which is really intriguing. Um, I didn't expect this movie to be so much about Chicago politics. <laughs> yeah. This particular race is just like, wow, you live in Chicago. It's like a shit vote that you have to decide to cast yeah you know yep (laughs) (laughs) no you live in the 18th ward yeah man yeah (laughs) the amount of the the amount of conversations they had about basically gerrymandering about you know the neighborhood districts and stuff like that and um how he has a house in the district but barely and he doesn't really live there he just kind of campaigns out of there um and how jamal campaigns out of a church and how you know they have conversations um with um the pastor of like the big right yeah Um, large church yeah just like those kinds of things are not things that i expected to be a part of this movie have anything to do with this movie um but they they were really interesting because it it, like the all of that impacts these women in different Mm ways um and it's very like even like the, the corruption, the conversations between Colin Farrell and uh, Robert Duvall just about staying in power, um, what what happens when you fall out of power um, is the same thing that Viola Davis is going through where she's basically fallen out of power. Um, you have <laughs> kind of the just the, the like uh, what, I always forget everybody's name. Uh, Brian Tyrese Henry, he's wanting to get out of the lifestyle and, uh, and get into a situation where he can – actually make change without um without being um he feels like he's too old to run the streets is what yeah. is what is what he feels and so his next step is to get into politics which is crazy it's so crazy but and yet it makes a lot of sense is my way to continue to run the streets at this age is to do politics and it's just a, such an interesting concept and such an interesting just a a, a a weird i think a weird metaphor for how <laughs> how everything is falling apart in 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 uh in government in you know city landscapes it's it's i love this movie it's so intriguing yeah. can i i want to clear something up so yeah. in the politics aspect of the movie yes colin farrell is being pushed by his dad to like run for this office and like yes maintain this legacy he has that really intense conversation with him in his office right mm-hmm. where they kind of like have it out with each other. Then Farrell goes to Byron Tyrese Henry and is like, look, basically you're ahead in the polls. I'm going to throw the debate and like cut mm-hmm. my ad budget and I want you to win. Yeah. And is it just because he like, is like, this is what I want. This is what you want, dad. Is that essentially like it's, what? It, so, yeah. So, cause, cause basically he's, he's been pushed to, you know, to, to do this. He doesn't want to do this. This isn't a career he wants, but it's legacy. Yeah. It's family. And this whole right. movie is about him not wanting to be the, you know, the, the guy at the, at the end of the line who, who fails. Um, and so finally at the end, he's basically like, I like, this isn't what I want. Like dad, I, I cannot wait till people like you are gone. I put up with you. Everybody puts up with you, but you're old and you're racist and you're bad. And that's not what I want. And yet he is complicit in all of this the whole time. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, him, go- him going and basically saying you like Colin Farrell doesn't want to lose. He doesn't want to lose um, is what is what he doesn't want. It's not that he doesn't want to be alderman 
um, which, I mean, he, he really doesn't, but that's not why he is kind of giving it up. It's just because he doesn't want to lose. And Brian Reese Henry is, t- uh, uh, well, uh, Brian Tyree Henry is a, is a head in the polls. And so he's basically like, I will consult you. I will be a part of your team. I will help you. Um, but I'll concede and just let you do this. Yeah. Um, then, and then because his dad dies, he wins. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, okay. man. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's oh. anything else from this movie that, like, I really wanted to make sure we talked about. Um, I do want to talk about the violence. Um, yeah. This movie is more brutal than I thought it was going to be. Um, uh, really all centered around Daniel Kaluuya. <laughs> right. um, him shooting the guy in the head, uh, or really shooting those two guys. Um him the stabbing. stabbing. The, the stabbing Ugh. was one of the worst things that I've seen. Yeah. Just, it's, I don't know, it, that, that was hard to watch. That was really bad. So hard to watch. Um, I mean, well yeah. done, but. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Amazingly <laughs> well done, but just right. so brutal and so just difficult. Just the, the dispassion he has to it, more just the curiosity of, yeah. of, you know, what it's like to stab this guy is, oh, that is so hard. Um, and then at the end when he dies and his head is just, well, that's, yeah. Um, yeah. So this movie is way more brutal than (laughs) I I think it probably needed to be. Uh, but I, I thought it worked well in kind of the context. Um, but yeah, it was not something that I was expecting. Yeah. I mean, the scenes with him, I thought were brilliant. Um, but it does, it does play into kind of the whole vibe of the movie, which is not a critique that I have, but just an observation is that like, it reminded me a little bit of um, uh, Baby Driver and that this heist element, I, I know I'm focusing on the heist a lot. It's less about planning and wit, which is what I usually love from a heist movie, and more about like the gritty realism of being a criminal. You know, sometimes I think mm-hmm. that's done really well and sometimes like it's done well, but it doesn't sit well with me, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So like just the fact that like... Th- it wasn't some grand heist they were planning. They're breaking into a house, you know, they're breaking into a house and taking the money and, you know, they have to incapacitate a security guard and kill an old man. And yes, it's like a racist old man that we hate, but like they still kind of have to scare an old lady and kill an old man. And yep. um, it's, it's really, it's grimy and it's not, there's no glamor at all in it. Mm, um, yeah. And I think that that's like good storytelling, you know, um, again, again, it's just not the heist film that like I'm used to seeing. Yeah. And that's both. And that has it's both good and bad. You yes, know? definitely. One of the yeah. things that I loved about it not being the heist film is one of the cliches of the heist film is there's a point at the end where you think they got away with it and then you realize they didn't get away with it. And then you realize, oh, they did get away with it. Yeah. Um, and so and in this one, it is when they get in the car and they have the money and then you realize Daniel Kaluuya um, has a gun oh. to Cynthia Rivas head. And yeah. at that point, I was just like, oh, no. And then he drives off and they're just standing in the street. And at that point, I was like, OK, in a heist movie, they would have switched out the bags because they knew he right. was following them or something like that. Right. And and I'm like, I'm waiting for that that moment to happen where you realize and then you just see them chasing like it's it's that was pretty thrilling. That was an excellent, excellent kind of subversion of that trope of them. No, right. he's got the money. They're just gonna go back and take it from him again. Yeah. <laughs> and they're them, just like not gonna stop. No, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's they this is this is all they have and they're gonna they're gonna do it and that right. i thought was brilliant i i loved loved that but it did make it did kind of make me think it, like yeah this this isn't a normal heist movie at yeah. all <laughs> no that's a great point that was such a, a really really great choice man 
<laughs> you know, my overwhelming sense when I left the film was just like, wow, Liam Neeson is a bastard. Because like, oh yeah, <laughs> one of the final scenes we get is that showdown between the two of them. Yes. Yeah, and it and it's just so vicious. It's mm. so vicious to see because we had their romance built up throughout so much of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that he's like sad about killing her, but he's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's, it's very much like you like, I wish you hadn't done this. Like I wish, like I wish you'd just stayed out of it kind of a thing. Right. Um, and, but, but yeah, so brutal. <laughs> yeah. I do want to talk about how, like, I do think one of the most beautiful moments of the film is the very first shot of them in bed. Like, mm-hmm. The way that they're kissing, the the whole sequence uh, between them, the whole sequence in general of all the couples, all the couples cut of their between, dynamics, but cut between the the heist going wrong, um, right? Yeah, was it, so brilliant. It's so good because um, it lets you know all of the characters. So by the end of that, what is it? It's like a minute, yeah, tops maybe, maybe two. Um, yeah, you get to know you know who all these women are. You know, you know exactly what the their dynamic is. And you know all yep. the widows. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Really, really good. Yeah, it really was. And, um, but, but setting up their romantic relationship in that immediate first shot and Mm -hmm. then throughout the film really did pay off so well when you have that um, final grand betrayal at the end. Yep. Oh, I love this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't have anything else to say about this movie, but I did want to say that you mentioned earlier that Cynthia, um, is it Arivo? Arivo. 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 Um, that like, she hasn't gotten her Oscar yet. Yes. She is playing Harriet Tubman in a Harriet Tubman movie. She's playing Harriet Tubman and she's playing the lead in the color purple musical movie. Yeah. Which is coming out. So she'll, she'll get it. I think she'll get it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to see what, like, this this was a good year for her. Um, yeah. I with yeah bad times and this man I'm so pumped. <laughs> you kind of before we head off, just very very quickly. Um, I only have a few more minutes. Um, want to talk about kind of how this had a disappointing box office? Yes. Um, well, turns out everyone went to see Crimes of Grindelwald this weekend um, sure. instead of this. So right now it's looking like it hit. Um, was it twelve thousand? Uh, not twelve thousand, sorry, twelve million dollars at the box office this weekend, which isn't great uh, compared to *Crimes of Grindelwald*. I think got like fifty something. Um, so I, yeah, it's it didn't do well at the box office. I'm hoping it continues well throughout the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I think I, I, I don't know how you make a movie like this and not make a lot of money. So I, I, I feel bad for it. Yeah, someone on Twitter recently pointed out they were like, these past four movies have all had are like amazing films with low box offices, box office results. And they were talking about bad times at the El Royale first man, Suspiria and now widows that mm-hmm. they all like didn't really perform well. And yet they're all like these great films felt very superior in that moment because I did go see all four <laughs> of those in theaters. Yeah. So it's like, not me bitches. Yeah. I'm, holding, I'm supporting the arts, but um, I think it is a, really interesting thing for us to like observe and reckon with that. Like, what is it about these films that aren't bringing in audiences? And, um, is it the film's fault? Is it the marketing's fault? And how do we keep good art being made and making money? You know? Yeah. Um, I think I would say that not all of those films are as great as they should be, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so 
those four in particular might not be the best examples. Um, but, um, yeah, I, it's something that I like to keep my eye on. I, th- I think, and people keep coming back to the conversation around, um, recognizable IP. Um, and I, th- I think that like, sadly, that is it. Like using uh, the recent films that have made a lot of money are <laughs> crimes of Grindelwald, the Grinch, Bohemian Rhapsody, like those, those things are extremely recognizable, and I think all probably bad-ish. Um, <laughs> and yet, I don't want to like say that that's not help. Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, I, I, I like. I just think that the other three. I mean, Suspiria and Widows are both based on previous IP, but not recognizable but not IP, really. really. Yeah. Um, and so that these are really kind of original stories, and people are gonna have a hard time paying for money for something that they're unsure about and that they don't recognize and i i think i think it's sad but i think i think that's like just looking at the box office i feel like that's what it looks like right now um crazy rich asians made a lot of money i but again it's based on a popular book and there's a lot of hype around it and i feel like you've got to get you if you've got to get tons and tons and tons of hype around something for it to make any money at all which is sad i just think i don't disagree that like ip makes a world of a difference but I don't think it is the only thing. I do think that we do have these stars that come out that are original films that do make a ton of money because they are just really well done and really original. I can't help but think of A Quiet Place. Like, and True. What a huge success that was. And, um, and because it's fully original, you know? But I also and, think it goes against what it's up against. If it's up against big IP stuff, sure. I think the IP stuff will win. I, Whereas I Quiet Place was kind of on its own. Strategy. Right. Strategizing. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but even like the Meg that came out earlier this year, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, that's um, true. That's, you know, that's on the end of like, it's not good. But like, I don't, or I've heard it's not good. Yeah. But people will go out to see it, you know. Um, I'm trying to look at the summer box office list and see if there's any other like really good examples. I mean, even like book club, like <laughs> book club made a ton of money. It didn't make the top 10, but it weighed way more money than I would have ever dreamed book club of. made almost $70 million. Um, yes. And so it's just like, I, I think that you are in a, for a battle when you're dealing with these big franchises and you're an original film. I don't want to discount that, but it can't be the only reason yeah. for me, at least I want all the good things to make all the money. Um, of course. <laughs> it, me would, too. it would be ideal. Um, but I, I do think it is, has to do with timing. And I think if we start talking about like the Oscar conversation in the past, everything has come out in November and December. Like all the big Oscar movies have come out in November and December. And this year, I think they've started to spread it out a little bit. I think um, a lot of the movies that you're going to get nominated for things have come out in the summer or in January or February, Um, which I think is awesome. And I think it's a smart decision because one, you're giving people time to actually see these movies and you're not loading the holidays with all of your movies, so so yours can get buried if it's original or something like that. Right. Um, and so I, I do think that we're kind of everybody's leaning more into spacing things out to where they can actually get a weekend alone. Um, for I mean, for the yeah. most part, without some crazy big IP thing kind of filling up that spot, sure. because you can't go opposite an Avengers movie. You can't go opposite a um, really. You can't go opposite any superhero movie. You can't go opposite a. Um, Harry Potter movie or any or anything from Disney Transformers movie. like yeah all of these things yeah. you so you 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 can't 
you got you got to start front loading things at the beginning of the year when nothing is right. coming out. So right. So I think that's exciting, but I think I that's, have a question. Yeah. For you, um, any Oscar chances for this film? Ooh, I I hope so. I would love it if Hans Zimmer got a nomination for the music in this film. Um, I think I think Steve McQueen could get a director a director nomination. Um, acting, I would love. Elizabeth Debicki to get something. Yeah. If um, I had to pick an acting nom, it would be a supporting for Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah. That is that is really it. I don't see this movie doing well at the Oscars. Yeah. Um, no, I don't either. I, so I'm having a hard time putting my finger on what the Oscars are going to look like this year because um, so many of the movies that would be classic Oscar buzzy movies either aren't performing well or I feel like the buzz around them isn't very good. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in movies like first man and this movie, I just don't think the buzz is around them for them to be Oscar contenders. Yeah. Even though typically at the beginning of the year, if you had asked me what the Oscars are going to look like, I'd been like, Oh yeah, that Damien Chazelle movie about Neil Armstrong. That's going to like sweep, you know? Yeah. Usually at this point in the year, I can list off 10 movies and probably five of them will get nominated for best picture. And the other five will get nominations other places. And I don't think I can do that this year. Yeah. (laughs) Just, just knowing off the top of my head, like these things will definitely get nominated. Um, I feel like it's a, a, a wider race this year which i think could be fun um depending on what gets what gets nominated but it's not like i i come into because usually i come into december with a list of like these are the things i have to see because they're going to get nominated and now i'm kind of just seeing things that i want to because they're they look good so that's good maybe (laughs) sure so but yeah we'll see i'm excited but it means we could see a quiet place at the oscars Uh, i would love to see a quiet place at the oscars to be honest yeah me too. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that wraps it up for us. Um, Sandra, where can you find you online? You can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Omstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff, and you can find us on the internet at Feeling It Pod. Um, you can also email us at feelingitpod at gmail.com. I almost said tune in next time to hear us talk about, but we don't know what we're talking about next time. Nope. Haven't made that decision. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We will talk to you guys later. Adios. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. <laughs>